0: Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast: Conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland. Here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel
1: Yang.
2: Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today I think you're going to enjoy our conversation with Dallas Jenkins. Dallas is the producer and director of the largest crowd-funded media project of all time, a multi-season series about the life of Christ entitled The Chosen. He's directed and produced over a dozen feature and short films for companies such as Universal, Lionsgate, Pure Flix, Hallmark Channel, and Amazon. Let me mention that this episode of the podcast came from a radio interview on Ed's radio show, Ed Stetzer Live, which airs on over 100 stations through Moody Radio and its affiliates. So when you hear callers, don't be surprised. It's just the content was so good and so timely, we wanted to share it with you. We also want to remind you that if you're enjoying our episodes, it would help us if you left a review. Now let's go to Ed Stetzer, Editor, in chief of Outreach Magazine and the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center.
1: If you haven't watched The Chosen, it's it's maybe in some ways not what you expect. If you're watching a series of uh, ministry, uh, The Ministry of Jesus, uh, you might say, well, what I kind of expect here is that, that I would kind of go through like word for word. We maybe think of the Jesus film, which, again, very pro the Jesus film, just, just to be clear. Um, the, uh, but it doesn't go through just kind of putting the words of the gospel, of the words of Jesus as recorded by the gospel in the mouths of actors. But instead, there's, there's a backstory. There's additional information, additional content, which is uh, what makes it, I think, interesting to so many people. So we're excited to have uh, Dallas Jenkins. Dallas, thanks for joining us here on the program.
3: Oh, thanks so much for having me on. It's an honor.
1: Good, good. Well, we we have a, uh, we we actually have met once, I think, and we met at, at my recollection at the Resurrection of Gavin Stone. And I've I've watched, I've I've done. I have to confess, Dallas, I've done more prep for this interview than almost any other because in order to do this interview, I needed to begin to watch a series. I know I probably shouldn't have begun by starting to tell you that just a month ago I started watching The Chosen and uh Don, Donna my wife said she watched the whole thing she loved it I'd be I'd be walking by she's watching the chosen we have a mutual friend named Mart a businessman named Mart who said you really got to watch Joe so I finally I finally did uh really started enjoying it uh but again your story, in really The Chosen, starts with the resurrection of Gavin Stone. Let's start there and tell us what that, which, which again, I just want to point out, you're going to tell us that it didn't go well, but I'm going to tell you audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, 84%, meter 54%. I wrote a positive review about it. I went to the premiere, so I'm a little unhappy that it didn't go great. So tell us why that matters.
3: Well, thank you for that. Uh, Yeah, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone was a feature film that I did that came out to theaters in 2017. And it was a big Hollywood opportunity for me. It was one of the first projects I had done that was financed by a big production company, and I got to work with a lot of great studios. And then it just completely bombed at the box office, just uh, lower than their lowest projections. And in just a couple hours, I went from being a director with a very bright future to a director with no future. Now, the interesting thing about that was that in that moment, I actually, it was the lowest moment of my career, really, but uh, God was more present in that moment than I believe almost any moment in, in my life. Uh, my wife and I still look back on that and, and see it as the life-changing moment where we felt God making it so clear, as clear as though he was standing in the room speaking to us audibly. Uh, you know, it's not our job to feed the 5,000. It's only to provide the loaves and fish. And I got on this program, which For me, was unique. You might have already figured this out, but for me, it took me over forty years to figure it out. Which is to not care about results and not care about what others think and not focus on, you know, what the Bible calls fear of man. But instead, uh, focus on making sure that when I do provide loaves and fish, that I try to make them as good as healthy as they can be. And when I hand them to God and He deems them worthy of acceptance, the transaction's over. And that's what allowed me to do something silly, like, you know, I did a short film for my church's Christmas Eve service about the birth of Christ. A streaming platform decided that, you know, they, would, they heard my idea for a show about Jesus, and, and, and uh, that short film ended up launching The Chosen and generating the crowdfund and all the other stuff we can talk about if you want. But I mean, that's that, that the failure of that film is actually the birth of The Chosen.
1: Fascinating. We, we see that a lot in Scripture and people's lives, where one failure, the, you know, God, God's opening another door in the process. Okay, so you did this short film, I think it was called The Shepherd, and uh, and this was kind of the first uh, foray into telling, I don't know what the right language would be, but telling kind of the side story of something that maybe Scripture records, but this is the side story to it. Tell us a little about The Shepherd.
3: Yeah, so The Shepherd takes the, the perspective of, all right, this is the birth of Christ, the story we've heard thousands of times. We don't change the story, but we're going to tell it from different perspectives. So in this case, it was from the perspective of the shepherds. So what we do is we take what we know from scripture and then we work our way backwards. So we started actually with the morning of, of, of that day and the shepherds are taking the uh, the sheep into town for, to sell them to, uh, the religious leaders for slaughter. And so we know this, it th- th- doesn't specify this kind of stuff in scripture, but we know it because of historical context and cultural context. So these are things we can know. And then we add, yes, some artistic license of the kind of conversations they might've had amongst themselves. And, and so the position of this one was, uh, I, I started with the thought, um, that I was listening to the song or singing the song Emmanuel by Chris Tomlin in church. And there's that great line in the song where it says, um, talks about the silent age, 400 years will he be found, but broken by a baby's cry, rejoice in the the Hollywood manger ground. It's the notion that the cry of a baby broke 400 years of silence. And so that concept of, okay, when... I, there's this really cool thing that they were so longing for the Messiah. They were so desperate for the Messiah. And these shepherds were the ones who got to see it first. So we just, we, we told the story through their eyes. And so when they encounter Mary and Joseph and when they encounter the angels, it, it, it takes on a unique significance without actually changing the gospel narrative.
1: Fascinating. And it is, it, without actually changing the gospel narrative, is it's good, good helpful language. Because, I mean, there's not significant shifts that... Are, that, that away from what would be there, but instead it sort of fills it in, which which in and of itself I think is both fascinating. I'm sure some people don't like that. I've I've seen some of the social media people like, you know, you're telling us details that we should not know. And I'm like, wait, well let's let's talk about that. Um, so uh, for example, I when the episode when it beginning in the beginning was the word, you know, and start where the word and the language and all that kind of background came from. I mean clearly uh, the writers here, I don't want to ask about them, the writers here are f- very familiar with the biblical text to be able to have this long kind of dialogue around what's the meaning of the word? How do we put this in the word and more? So what, I mean, what is the, the background? What is the, the, the engagement of both the writers and are there theological advisors that are helping you to think around some of these issues? Help us to see the, that process, that creative process.
3: Yeah that's a really great example. So I have two co-writers and the three of us write everything and then we have uh, some consultants that we work with like my my uh, New Testament professor Dr. Doug Huffman and then uh, there's a messianic Jewish rabbi named Jason Sobel who's a, who's become a good friend and he gives us a lot of the c- cultural context as well. So in the example you gave that's at the beginning of season 2 where we show the apostle John starting to assemble his notes and his thoughts and, and what God is leading him to say for the gospel of John. And he's working out and he's actually talking to mother Mary, who, as we know from scripture uh, was assigned by Jesus to be John's like when he, when he's on the cross and he says, mother, behold your son and son, here's your mother. So they're talking about uh, the story of Jesus. And he's saying, I want to go back to the very beginning. What, what, what would be, what, you know, what's the beginning. And we start working out what might've contributed to, to those opening words of John's gospel. And one of the things that we present is we show this scene uh, where Jesus is reading scripture uh, in a synagogue and he's actually reading the creation story. And so we actually juxtapose Jesus's reading of scripture with the creation story and John listening to it in that synagogue. And that giving John, that memory giving John the idea to to start his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. So it's those kinds of things that we do. Again, we're, we're you know, as you know, I I, I come from a conservative Bible believing <laughs> background. Uh, I I'm I'm a strong evangelical who believes that the Bible is God's word. So we start with that as our primary source of truth and inspiration, and we don't change it. But again, we do give some of these. These, uh, pl- what we believe is plausible, that's our operating principle, our operating word. Is this plausible? Does this fit within the character of Jesus in the Gospels? And if so, we believe that we have the opportunity to to fill in some gaps, to to give some context that, uh, that, that has, for many people, for literally millions of people who've, who've shared this with us, has uh, made the Bible come alive for them and has caused them to search the scriptures and read the Bible even more.
1: And I think one of the things that you said I thought was interesting—you wanted something that could be binge watched—and here I am binge watching it. Where did that whole binge watching idea come from, Dallas?
3: Well, when I was making the short film that I discussed earlier, "The Shepherd" for my church, um, you know, it was just something I did on my on my friend's farm in Illinois, twenty minutes minutes from my house. But while I was doing that, I was I was binge watching a lot of shows with my wife, Amanda. We love TV. We love, uh, you know, the the the, the notion that. Uh, you can follow characters from episode to episode, uh, season to season. And as you mentioned in your intro, uh, a lot of Jesus projects in the past were movies or miniseries, and they had a limited time to cover. You know, you have a, when you, in a movie, you got 90 minutes, two hours, to cover quite a lot in Jesus's life. And it's always from Jesus's perspective. And so you're going from miracle to miracle, Bible verse to Bible verse, and you're never having, having any connection whatsoever with the people that he actually touched. And so my operating principle as I started to develop the idea for this show was, if you can see Jesus through the eyes of those who actually met him, and identify with their questions and their struggles and their doubts and their expectations, then perhaps you can be changed and impacted in the same way they were and identify with the answer to their struggles and their questions. And the only way to do that is to is to do it like how normal television is being done these days, which is you know a lot of times you'll watch multiple episodes at a time you'll watch it over the course of multiple seasons but it's done in a quick quickly sometimes because you're able to invest in these characters and get to know them and then be impacted the same way they are and that's uh, that was kind of the, the 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 thought experiment as i approached the show
1: yeah, fascinating. And I think it's it does become very engaging to people. I was particularly intrigued with the quality level. Uh, you know, again, a lot of Christian films. Uh, I'm not the first, I'm not the guy who's throwing bricks at everybody who's trying hard to do things that are creative. I think that's great. Uh, but they're not, you know, they're not always the highest level of quality. And so here, the, the quality of the acting and the filmmaking is kind of evident from the beginning. First season, I was impressed. Second season just seems to step into a whole nother level. Um let's let's take some calls uh, as well. Let's go to uh, Patricia in Plainville, Georgia. Patricia, you're live on the air with your question or your comment. Go ahead.
0: Hey, um I just want you to know Mr. Stetzer, I, I listen to you every Saturday. Oh thank you. Okay. Go ahead with
1: your go ahead with your question or your comment for Dallas.
0: Dallas, um comment. Thank you for this, um the chosen. I was hooked by Um, The trailer that y'all played on Facebook of The Samaritan Woman. It was so good. I've been watching it ever since. I bought the season one and two and gifted it to another family member. And uh, I can't wait to see tomorrow's episode. And I just want you to keep it up. Don't stop.
1: Mm. Oh, mm. Patricia, thank you so much for that call as well, Dallas. I mean, I'm guessing you hear that a lot. And let me just say that the Samar- women at the the Samaritan woman that was an amazing episode as well. So, but I mean, it talked about the response you get. I mean, is it ministering, encouraging a lot of people like it has? Patricia, thank you for your call, Patricia.
3: Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you, Patricia. Um, it's funny, Ed. It, what just happened is actually quite frequent, and I don't say that really? to with any kind of arrogance. It's it's actually. Uh, I get recognized now in public quite a bit, and and it's very rarely a celebrity type of response. It's 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 like what you just saw. People feeling the need to say thank you, uh, and and I would say probably a third of the time someone just starts crying. And uh, I think there's the the thing that makes me so pleased about it is not because I care about uh, personal. <laughs> Appreciation or anything like that. It's because I think when when they're that emotional and when the comments they make are usually about how it's drawing them to Scripture more than ever or how it's their relationship with Christ is is even more on fire than it was. Uh, that's what is ultimately exciting, and it makes me realize that, that uh, I do believe that God has his hand on it because of the what the response is. If the response was, oh, my gosh, it's my favorite show. Now I have something to watch. And, oh, you know, good news, I don't actually need to be, read my Bible as much because I have The Chosen now. That would be upsetting. But people are saying over and over again, thank you. I'm now more engaged with Scripture and with Jesus than ever before. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it, it is fascinating people's response. You know, I I actually, uh, you know, I, you crowdsourced, so I crowdsourced. I, I tweeted and said, what questions should I ask um, Dallas Jenkins? And People just have all kinds of responses. I mean, the people have questions, and I will go through some of those. But also, they, they kept coming back to, you know, how this part moved them, how this part encouraged them. Um, and, and again, Donna, I mentioned she's a big fan, and and uh, and again, I've I've become just appreciating. I mean, just the 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 art and the engagement and the way you sort of weave in stories that point to what the biblical text is. So, tell us some of the reactions that you've seen from people, you know, fans, people who watch the show, and more.
3: Yeah, I did want to share one of the coolest stories that I'd ever heard. Was at the beginning of the process when the show first came out, and it it gave an indication of what was coming. Which was, we heard from a a woman in China who was wanted to share that she was the only one in her family who spoke English, but that they were binge watching the first season because of the pandemic, because they were stuck in their homes, and her husband and her kids uh, were desperate to watch each episode, even though they didn't speak English and the show hadn't been translated in their language yet, and that. was an indication that people of all ages uh, which i didn't expect were getting moved by the show and the fact that they couldn't even understand the words made it realize made me realize it wasn't about me i mean all these words that i'm writing and dialogue that i'm writing th- th- these kids couldn't even understand it and yet they were still moved and so that made it clear this is much bigger than i am and god is god clearly has something to say
1: um, so how do you, how do you deal then with the critics or the criticisms that come uh, you know one of the questions or the themes that i gathered the people people wanted to know I mean, because there's a lot of nitpicking, I think in part because people maybe love the biblical text and they say, no, you know, Matthew wouldn't have done that or John wouldn't have done that. And part it's just Christians can be critical. How do you deal with that?
3: Well, honestly, Ed, uh, God took all that away from me back when my movie failed back in 2017. And that was the thing that God did with me more than anything else was I used to be someone who struggled with narcissism. I cared about Affirmation—it was important to me, and now I—I I, I really don't care anymore. And so, uh, you know, the most common things people say are, "Oh, you're working with people that aren't like you know," because I have people on the cast and crew or people in the team that come from different faith backgrounds or some not at all, and they'll say, "Oh, you shouldn't be working with these people," or the the content of the show—they'll say, you know, there shouldn't be anything said. You should never add to scripture. So, on number one, I—I I really I'm not doing this for other people. I'm doing this for God, and I genuinely. Uh, developed a superpower that God gave me that I just don't care anymore what people think. But the other thing is, is uh, I, I genuinely believe that, um, and this is very important for anyone to hear, your Bible has not changed since The Chosen came out. I'm not adding to scripture because this isn't scripture. I have a healthy understanding, as does my wife, as does everyone working on this show, that this is a TV show. This is not a replacement for scripture. And before the first episode starts, we say, we encourage you to read the Gospels. In many ways, the show is what we would consider plausible fan fiction. And so the show is a supplement, can be used as a supplement to Scripture. Uh, and so I, I do want the average uh, viewer or the person considering the show to know that we take this very seriously. But what critics think, I just I, I just can't worry about it. And the debates that we might be having about it uh you know, are, are are ones that don't really apply anymore because I've already made the decision to do the show. There, nothing they say is going to cha- is going to change that. So, uh, hopefully, the baits are healthy and intellectually honest.
1: Yeah, and I think I think that obviously is key and helpful is that people are aware and they walk through it. I mean, it is a it is a decision. That you talk about being plausible, and I watched you talk about that in several interviews. Uh, and, and I will tell you, you know, I haven't finished, but mostly through. And I didn't find, as you said, anything was implausible. The question that people, I, I sort of wondered to myself. Am I, every time I'm going to read Matthew now, am I going to see Matthew as on the spectrum? Um, you know, right. and and how does that shape my my view, which, which, by the way, I just think was brilliantly done. You know, if I have a family member uh, who diagnosed with Asperger syndrome um, and totally saw how you made that connection, I can even see it made sense on many points. So, but I'm guessing from now on, I'm going to think of him as being on the spectrum. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Should I try to get that out of my mind when I read the scripture uh, or, or should I just acknowledge it as a possible plausible, plausible storyline? Uh,
3: yeah, I mean... I- I don't see it as a bad thing unless what I think would be bad is if you started treating the show or treating Jonathan's portrayal, Jonathan Rumi who plays Jesus, as Jesus. You know, if you're if you're worshiping the the portrayal in our show or if if when you're like in church worshiping or praying and 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 you're thinking of the show as worthy of worship of course that would be that would be bad I mean that, that's what the Bible talks about in the Old Testament when it's don't you know when, when it talks about graven images and not portraying Jesus or, or, or portraying God uh, it's for the purpose of avoiding worshiping a false idol. well we're not calling for anyone to worship our show and, and to, to date I haven't heard of anyone who is but I think having this notion of maybe Matthew could have been on the spectrum that that's not a bad thing I don't think that is anything that, contradicts scripture or makes you, leads you towards a bad doctrine but these stories of the gospels i think you'll oftentimes hear pastors do the same thing you know I, you know when i read this it makes me think of any, and usually a pastor will give some color or context but as long as we know what scripture and what isn't i think that uh, we're free to to imagine and to and to think about these people because they were people human beings just like we were and that's often easily forgotten we think of them as stained glass windows
1: yeah, it's interesting. In the, in the in the as I kind of categorically put together the comments that people sent in, one of them, a couple of them were about. I think they were I'm very typically fans of the show, but like they were. If one thing bothered them, it was Jesus practicing things, like practicing the Sermon on the Mount, and and it kind of gets yeah. into you know who Jesus was. Did he need to practice? He certainly needed to learn. He needed. He didn't. He wasn't born with the knowledge of all things. And so, how, how do how do you respond to the question? of helping people see the, I mean, clearly you're, you're seeing the more human side of Jesus. He was fully God, fully man, the more human side. That seems to be troubling to people sometimes who even like the show.
3: Yeah, that was by far the number one thing. It was a scene in episode five of season two, where Jesus is uh, essentially rehearsing. He's kind of working out some of the words for the Sermon on the Mount. And some people really said and thought, okay, I like the show, but I don't believe Jesus ever had to practice anything. And I just respectfully disagree. I mean, I believe Jesus was 100% God. I believe he was 100% man. Uh, and, and Jesus wasn't sinning to rehearse the the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, we agree Jesus never sinned. But we know that he grew in wisdom and stature, as the, as the Gospels say. Uh, we know that he needed food. We know that he needed um to, to learn how to read, from probably from his parents, to learn how to walk, I don't believe it's implausible that Jesus would have done some sermon prep. Uh, and, and, and perhaps most of it he would have been praying and, and accessing what, what God's wisdom for it. But I, I, I just don't believe it's a contradiction of his deity or, or of his humanity to say that, that there were times when Jesus didn't know all things while he was in human form here on earth. In fact, Philippians says he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. And so I I do believe that there's... Now, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm could. i not saying that I'm not going to try to settle 2,000 years of theological debate about the hypostatic union, uh, as though I know and everyone else doesn't. But it does seem like there are a few people who do think they can solve that debate with a YouTube comment. (laughs)
1: Hey, and let's give a bonus for references to the hypostatic union. Like I watched the first season on Netflix and then switched over to the app. What are some, what's the ways to kind of keep up with the series best?
3: Yeah. So the very best way to watch the series in real time as it's coming out is the chosen app. So if you have a Roku, Apple TV, Fire Stick, Android TV, or just your mobile device, uh, you can look up the chosen. It's easy to find, and you just download the app. There, it's got Matthew uh, as the icon on it, and uh, it's it's great. It's f- totally free. Doesn't even require an email address. Uh, there's no, no nothing no blocks to watch anything. Uh, and uh, right now, uh, we've just released recently episode six. And then episodes seven and eight, the, the, our two-part season finale, are actually coming to theaters uh, February second and third, and then uh, on to the app a couple days after that.
1: So, do you go February second and third to see the f- episodes? No. Or are you showing both episodes at one showing?
3: Yeah, yeah. Good question. Yeah, the episodes are together. We're just doing kind of a limited release on those two days.
1: Good deal. Good deal. Which leads to a question. Kind of these are a little bit technical questions, but Beth and Lindenhurst, you're live on the air with your question. Go right ahead.
0: Uh, yes, Dallas, I'm very impressed with the sets and the costumes. Um, I'm a very
2: visual person, and they're just beautiful. Um, so how do you pay your bills? <laughs>
1: <laughs> great question, so, Beth.
3: Yeah, that is a great question, especially people think, like, the show's free, so where do you get income? Uh, so we we do allow for you to donate. Uh, we ourselves, th- this can be confusing, but I'll make this very clear, the Chosen uh, company the company that I, it makes the show we are not a for-profit company I'm sorry we're not a nonprofit company um, we, we the first season uh, when when 15,000 people invested in the, in the show it was crowdfunded but that was an investment so we are a for-profit company. We are partnered with the Come NC foundation and they were a uh, well they are a, a nonprofit that was formed to expand our mission. so to be very clear when you're on the chosen app, uh, you want to see future episodes and seasons and you want us to, to be able to keep the show free uh, and to translate the show into hundreds of languages, you can donate to the Come and See Foundation. And uh, then they then they uh, put that money into uh, allowing us to produce the show. So uh, for, for several years, we just gave people the opportunity to, to, to pay for it or not. They're just like, look, you don't have to pay for it, but if you do, this is what allows us to, to keep doing future episodes and seasons. And, uh, and so- now, the Come and See Foundation has come along as a nonprofit entity that now people can donate tax deductible. And uh, so that's how we uh, were able to, to, to afford the show. Now, we also have. The, the, the for-profit side, the commercial side where we've got uh, gifts and merchandise and, and uh, license like when it's put on Netflix, that kind of thing. But the Come and See Foundation came along a few months ago and uh, has really put a jump start into the show. They, they're the ones who actually take out ads. Uh, you, you might be seeing ads for The Chosen on NFL games lately. Uh, they've really just decided that uh, they really want to help the show get out to the world.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting too. Part of it is their plan to continue to translate in different languages. There were several questions around that theme, but it's already in a bunch of languages. And people they are asking, do you, just, do you just, is it subtitled? Is it, it do you dub it in? And, and as you answer that question, point to, what does the future look like? What, what do you hope to see? How many languages are you headed towards with the Come and See Foundation plan?
3: Yeah. So right now, season one is translated in about 60 languages. Uh, season two, a little bit less than that. The Come and See Foundation came on and uh, because of their background, because uh, Mark Green is is the chairman of the Come and See Foundation. He's with the Green family, the family behind Hobby Lobby. And they've done huge translation work around the world already. So they said, we're going to take some of our infrastructure and, and apply this to the show. And so the, their goal is 600 languages, uh, mm. In every country in the world, and uh, dubbing uh, into a hundred languages. Dubbing is a little different from subtitling, as you know, and uh, dubbing is a little harder, a little uh, quite a bit more expensive. Uh, but we want to get that into a, at least a hundred languages as well.
1: Yeah, when Martin found out I hadn't watched The Chosen, he's the one who yelled at me and basically right. said, "You got to start watching The Chosen." So I, I, I jumped in, and uh, and I'm glad I did. It's been a fascinating uh, process, and and looking forward to going to the theater and seeing these uh, other things as well. Let's see if we can jump into a couple of other questions uh, as well. To Scott in Lockport, Illinois. Scott, you're live on the air with your question. Go right ahead.
0: Hey, good morning. Thanks. I really enjoyed The Chosen. And um, I've been talking to people online, friends of ours from church and acquaintances about it. And they're so closed-minded about the show, like they won't even consider watching it because I think they, they have these preconceived notions in their mind about who Jesus is and to them. and they don't want to even watch anything that might go against that. And it reminded me of like the Pharisees back when Jesus was here they they were looking for the Messiah according to what they thought he was going to be. And when he was here right in front of them, they didn't even want to consider him. and it, it just went against what they what they believed and how do you how do you? get to these people that are christians but they won't even consider watching the show what do you think guys
3: well i'm gonna say this I, i think that there are some people who unfairly uh judge the show or judge the viewers before they've even seen it they've heard something negative or they've read something that might be taken out of context and they've just made made a strong conclusion and and they just refuse to consider it and and i that that bums me out sometimes because I think that sometimes there's a lot of intellectual dishonesty, and, and you've experienced this, Ed, where people are making significant conclusions without even considering it. That said, I'm not going to speak for some people who maybe justifiably and intellectually honestly are saying, look, I've got God's word. That's the portrayal of Jesus. Uh, the the accurate capture of Jesus that I want to read I don't need anything else I don't want anything else I don't want to be distracted from it I don't want to consider the any potential stories that might not be true about the disciples uh, and and I I think that's fair uh, you know I think you know I would argue that occasionally when they go to church and they hear a sermon they're hearing more than just God's word they are hearing a, a, a a pastor deliver a context and 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 oftentimes say, "Hey, look, let's let's try to picture ourselves in this in this moment and what that might have been like," and gives historical context and cultural context that isn't in scripture. But I, I'm not going to just automatically assume that all of them are just Pharisees who are refusing to see uh, the real Jesus because the real Jesus is actually in God's word. So if they're going to be reading the real Jesus in God's word, I'm not going to argue with that and expect them to to enjoy my. Uh, my take on the stories, which I admittedly say right up front, this isn't God's word. This is a, what we believe is a plausible portrayal. But I'm not going to try to fight for their heart uh, if, if their heart is already taken by God's word.
1: Yeah, your your heart has been. I've heard it over and over again. You know, engage God's word, read God's word. We want you to watch. If you watch the show, let it drive you to God's word. There are people who would hold theological views. You know, some of the people came up second Second Commandment. You know, different things about making images and all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, hey, I I can respect that. Uh, and you know, and again, my concern, I think Dallas' concern would be that you engage faithfully and regularly God's word. I had some fun questions come in on the list too. For example, uh, one person expressed a joking disappointment that I mean, you went through a lot of work in this. Couldn't you have done this in Aramaic? Because I mean, let's let's take it <laughs> to a whole other. Let's make it more accurate. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: So, That's a, it's funny. Some people will say, uh, I don't think Jesus would have said uh, a phrase like "not too shabby." And I said, and I always say, it, Jesus didn't say any of these words in our show because he didn't speak English. So let's just remember that uh, back then they had they had Hebrew and Aramaic versions of the words we say today.
1: Oh, yeah. And I, I had, you know, even like I was watching a show, and when someone mentioned being corny, I like I turned to Donna. We were watching on the couch, and I said, can't be corny. There was no corn in that part of the world at that time. <laughs> and so, and I told you, you know, euphemisms and all that sort of stuff. And so, again, but you could spend a lot of time on uh, on right. those things for sure. Uh, let, let's, let's go to uh, Terry in uh, Illinois as well. Terry, you're live on the air. Go right in.
0: Uh, Yes. uh, Good morning. I just wanted to share that um, I was an early supporter uh, before the first four episodes, I think, were done. I talked to my pastor, and they embraced it um, fully over time, Uh, but also that it has impacted so many different people in so many ways. Um, I have sisters that are in their 70s. One has fully embraced it, gone with me to the theater presentations, and uh, she said it reminded her of her early Sunday school um, instruction and has opened everything up to her. And it's also helped both her and several people that we know uh, who are dealing with terminal illnesses and death of uh, family members, et cetera, um, um, in, in ways that I think they can relate to the show. And therefore they're going back and experiencing uh the gospel, et cetera. And my hope is that since Dallas has this group of writers, um filed to do this series when this finishes in the seventh season, that they will continue to do something um that will have the same type of impact on people. Um so that that's my comment and my hope.
1: Well, we're going to take that comment as a, as a good comment as well. So the question is, is what's after this? We do all, spoiler alert, we know what happens by the time the end of the Gospels come. Do you go into the book of Acts? And I just want to say, if your answer's no, as a missiologist who writes on the book of Acts, I'm going to be very disappointed. So tell us.
3: <laughs> well, look, when uh, the seven seasons of The Chosen are done, I'm going to nap for about a year, and uh, then we'll start considering uh, the book of Acts. Uh, I don't know exactly what that will look like, but uh, we do actually have some announcements coming up about uh, potential other projects that we are starting to develop. It's uh, If I spend the rest of my life uh, telling uh, Bible stories, uh, I could do a lot worse. So uh, we're trying to do things one at a time. It's not my job to feed the 5,000 only to provide the loaves and fish, and I do that one thing at a time. I try not to get ahead of myself anymore, but clearly the demand is there, and uh, I would love to to continue to tell Jesus stories.
1: Okay, good deal. Uh, let's let's go to uh, to Dave. Dave is in Eretta, California. If I listen on K Wave. Dave, you're live on the air.
0: Hi, good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my question. So, Dallas, my I'd like to get your comment on how you got connected with. The LDS Church in the production of the Chosen. And um, as a believer, if you could, if there's any concern in your mind that the Mormon Church could possibly use the success of the Chosen to help persuade other people that uh, maybe they're becoming part of mainline Christianity.
3: Yeah. Uh, so just to be very clear, because I think this is important. Number one, I'm not formally associated with the LDS church on any level, uh, and they don't claim that we're formally associated with, with each other. We use... They have a set in Utah, an extraordinary set that's kind of a recreation of first century uh, Jerusalem that we use in our filming. Uh, we use other sets as well. We've built our own. We've rented st- stages from other people. Uh, the owners of each of those stages are the owners of our sets. We don't have a religious litmus test for whether or not uh, they align with us uh, perfectly. And that's the true of who we rent our equipment from and our cast and crew. We hire our cast and crew, I would say, actually more more than half of our cast and crew aren't uh, tr- believers or traditional believers. And so uh, if the LDS Church, because of the fact that we use their set or that some of the people who work on our team are uh, happen to be LDS, uh, I can't really control what they may claim or not claim. Uh, I, I, I put that in God's hands. Our job with the show is as is, is the parable that Jesus gave of the nets. We, we believe we're, we're to gather. Uh, we gather, and then as Jesus said in the Gospels, at the end of the age, the angels We'll separate the evil from the righteous, just like uh, fishermen separate the good fish from the bad. Uh, my job is to gather into an, to the net, and I'll allow uh, God to, to do the separating. Uh, but who we work with uh, is less relevant uh, in this case than the content of the show and the fact that I, as an evangelical believer in God's word, uh, am the sole uh, arbiter and final resp- have all final responsibility for the content of the show, and that's something that we would never compromise on.
1: Yeah it's interesting you know the the when I did the what would you like to ask Dallas about I did get several people say wanted to ask about the mormonism thing so I watched your your answers in a couple of different settings and you know and and, and, and I, I think I get sort of what you're what you're doing uh, you know I think for mormons the and for uh, Christians they would they would they would agree on much of what Jesus did i mean the content you're doing uh following biblical narratives kind of embell adding to some of those as with plausible things Jesus could have done i i guess it really is is who jesus is is the bigger issue you know we we hold that you know god the son you know father son and holy spirit trinitarian doctrine theology whereas mormons would hold a a different faith and so so is is it i mean and even in one of the interviews i think you said you didn't want to address this anymore so i was but I figured someone was going to call and ask, I mean, how do you, how do you address the issue, not just of the set, which I appreciate you addressing that question. There's no, there's no formal connection with the LDS church. There's, you know, it's, this is, and you have creative control as an evangelical believer. Um, This has just become an issue that people keep raising. How do you think you best address it so that it's not an ongoing question? Because I can tell you're trying to keep what in part is an LDS audience at the same time holding views that kind of, you know, there's Christian denominations and traditions and Mormonism is outside of that.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I, I've put out, as you, as you mentioned, I mean, you can look on our YouTube channel. You can find multiple videos where I've shared where our statement of faith is and where I come from. And I've clarified a couple of comments that people have been concerned about. But my, my operating principle is uh, the Jesus of the Gospels is who we're presenting. And there are d- other faiths, uh, LDS or Catholic or whatever, that might have differences of opinion uh, with, with us or different uh, approaches or different foundational beliefs about uh, who Jesus was. But most of those, in fact, nearly all of them uh, are, are, take place before Jesus was on earth or after Jesus was on earth, the, the events of the Gospels. Uh, for the most part, uh, we tend to agree on, and that's why I believe uh, so many LDS folks and Catholic folks and other faith traditions or, or even people who aren't believers uh, love the show is uh, they're seeing it as a plausible historical portrayal of, of who Jesus of Nazareth was. Now there are plenty of theological debates to be had, of course. Uh, and I've had many of them with uh, some of my LDS friends and uh, people who work on the show. and uh, But I just prefer to do that in the context of relationship. I don't see any value in going up publicly and starting to have arguments, theological arguments, or trying to speak for the LDS church or speak for the Catholic church or speak against them or anything like that. It's not because I'm afraid of losing viewers. I don't care about that kind of stuff. It's just I prefer to have... Uh, Th- nuanced, thoughtful, and uh, theologically rich discussions and debates. Uh, I prefer to not have them in uh, YouTube forums.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you I mean, you have addressed that. People can Google those things and you know find where he's kind of addressed that. So I didn't want to spend a, a super lot of time sort of walking through those. I did. I did think about the Mormonism conversation uh, when we were looking at the John one discussion. You know, the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. So I would say that people who are outside of biblical orthodoxy who are, are driven to the text, like a John 1 text, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God, that, that they they begin to hopefully see more of the fullness of who Jesus was, that there's never been a time when he was not, that He God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I think there are paths there that can be influential even as the scripture text sort of comes forward.
2: You've been hearing from Dallas Jenkins. You can learn more about his show, The Chosen, at thechosen.tv. And thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content from ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcasts. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a review that help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.
3: You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free
0: resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com.